0: Welcome. My name is Mark. If you are new here, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It is my privilege now to open God's word with you. I haven't been here for a couple of weeks. Uh, last Week, uh, I mentioned we had had the opportunity to go to a pastors and wives retreat with the Acts 29 network, our our church planning network. And the stipulation to that was you're not allowed to preach that Sunday if you go to the. So it was great. I was like, I'll do that. And um, (laughs) Matthew did an awesome job. But uh, one of the things I love about that is while while we go there and we have shared theology, uh, a lot of the churches, 140 churches, come from different backgrounds and worship styles. And, and so you go in there and, um, you know, people actually raise their hands during worship. Thank you very much, Brian. And, um, <laughs> and uh, they, they might, you know, they, they might really get into it. They might like get on the ground and I'm like, what are you doing? But then I'm reading the words. I'm like, well, if we believe that, that's an appropriate response in worship. And, and not only that, not only is the worship style a little different, you get a, get some of that flavor. Uh, did you know? I mean, I, you probably didn't know this, but sometimes when when someone's preaching, there's like actual interaction. Amen. There we go. <laughs> so so yeah, there's, there's the amen, but did you know there's more than amen? Thank you Jesus. So there you, okay, we got hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anything else? Come on, preach. Come on, man. So, so you guys are aware that you can engage maybe you're not but, but I also heard some things that I, I, I guess I hadn't heard. I mean I heard the hallelujahs I heard the come on preach uh, uh, sometimes someone will just like raise their hand and, and if you did that here we might be like do you have a question but uh, no they just raise their hand sometimes they'll just stand up like two or three people just stand up and uh, I'm like wow okay there you go you might freak Matthew out if you do that but I've been around enough I can handle that Um, But then this, I heard some other things. This dude, I mean, the preacher was rolling, right? And he was getting, like, there was amens. There was come on, preach, and and all those things. This dude, he said, 100. (laughs) I was like, 100? Like the emoticon? Like 100? Yeah, like the emoji. So you can throw emojis out. (laughs) You could be like, smile face, (laughs) praise hands. I just want to give you the freedom to interact and engage. Uh, No, I actually have a reason for saying that here this morning. Uh, You know, if you're just joining us, we're working our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, there's going to be a noticeable shift. Uh, in today's message. Uh, Jesus has spent the last four or five chapters uh, in the upper room with disciples, teaching them. It's been very didactic. Uh, he's, he prayed for us. He prayed for you. He prayed for his disciples last week. Uh, and, and and for those of us that are, uh, well, let's just say more cerebral, uh, that's good. We can take notes. We can do all that. But, but Jesus also says, quoting the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So uh, he's saying yes with your mind, but, but lean in, like, like your whole body should be involved. And, and today when we shift gears in the narrative as we're working through John's gospel, we're in the second half of chapter 18, by the way, uh, there, there's not going to be like Jesus teaching us three, three cool ways to improve our life. There's not going to be a big idea or takeaway. The power of this word and in this passage is found in us being able to lean in with all our whole, our whole what am I trying to say, strength, mind, soul, all those things, um, to lean in and to enter into the story that the Holy Spirit would not only set our minds on fire, but our emotions. Like This, this passage should stir an emotional response. Like When we see what Jesus is going to do, we said it in the, the um, Apostles' Creed. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. When we see that, that should, that should not leave us just kind of uh, analytic. That, that should move us. And, and so uh, with that, we're, we're going to look at two things. We're mostly going to look at Jesus before Pilate. And really what's gonna go hang over that whole time. And the, the main thrust of of this is, is there, there's two kingdoms at work. Jesus calls one of them uh, my kingdom is not of this world and the other one the kingdom of earth and and this whole time Jesus has been teaching about two kingdoms and and we live in one But but those of us that have been rescued and redeemed were citizens of another kingdom and it, it functions differently The kingdoms of this world are all about power and prestige and status and the way that you 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 grow and you do more You tear people down to go up uh, but Jesus says the upside-down kingdom's not like that at all. And citizens of that kingdom don't, don't, don't act in the same way as citizens of earthly kingdoms. Uh, to, to grow in the heavenly kingdom, you, the first shall be last. And, and you don't tear people down, but you bring people up. And, and there's there's two kingdoms at play. And the question is, which kingdom are you a part of? Which kingdom do you give your allegiance to? Which kingdom do you operate in and what mindset? Because there's going to be two kings as well. You're going to have Pontius Pilate backed up by the most powerful army in the history of the world up until this point and his authority and he's clawed his way and he's, he's been brutal when he needs to be brutal and he's, he's conquered what he needed to conquer and he's holding on to power as, as tightly as he can. And then you have another king. A king who stepped down out of heaven in glory and and divested himself of his power. Because in the heavenly kingdom, the strong give away their power to raise everybody up. In the earthly kingdom, the weak try to become strong by tearing everybody down. And so the question is, who's your king? Which kingdom are you operating under? And so, with that, I want to jump into the text, but I want to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, to enter into the story, to to feel what what we should feel, to see things maybe we've never seen before, hear things, smell things, be repulsed when when it's uh, necessary, just to enter into the text. So, let me pray for us, and then we'll be in John chapter 18. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sing what's true and what's right Lord, I pray now that you would be our teacher by your word, through your Holy Spirit. Help us to not stand far off and um, even stand in judgment of some of the things and characters that are going to walk before us, but Lord, to see ourselves in the narrative. And and by doing so, may we see uh, you better. May we behold the true king and may we see ourselves and our need for you once again. So Holy Spirit, do what you do. Make much of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 18. We're going to, like I said, focus mostly on Jesus and Pilate, but let me just catch you up by way of uh, a summary of how we got to this point. Jesus has just prayed for us in the upper room, and now he's taken his disciples out of the upper room, down the side of the mountain, uh, uh, across something called the Kidron Valley, and and up another side of the hill to an olive grove. Uh, In my practice, I call it Olive Garden. That's a bad Italian restaurant, but he's in the olive grove. And uh, he, he would go there quite often, but again, you have to understand the context of what's happened. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jewish people that have traveled from all over into Jerusalem. They're camping all over the place in Olive Garden. Oh, there we go. Olive Grove. And uh, they're they're, they're everywhere. And there's just kind of this energy in the air. And um, they're, they're there to celebrate one thing, the Passover. They're there to remember a time when they were oppressed as God's people. And God was the rescuer. God was the deliverer. And there was land lambs that were being slain, and at this point in the narrative, the lambs have begun to be slain, and we're talking thousands, tens of thousands, 100,000 lambs are being slain up on the temple mount, not far away. Uh, The the priests, day and night, through the night, to get all the sacrifices in, are are slicing the necks of the sheep. And the the blood is pouring on the altar. It's pouring over the altar. It is so much blood, they would say, that that it would come down the side of the mountain and, and cause a stream. And the Kidron Valley, which was normally a dry creek bed, at this time of the year would be flowing with the blood of sheep. And so as Jesus leads his disciples, they hop over or step over the river of blood, and they go, and we know the story. They, uh, the disciples fail Jesus in his hour of need. They, they fall asleep, and meanwhile, Judas is gathering uh, uh, the, the soldiers, and he's leading them, and finally he comes in, and with a kiss, he betrays Jesus. Again, feel that. What would it be like to be kissed by your betrayer? Some of you have been betrayed. None of us have been betrayed like that. And so feel the tension. And, and, and immediately uh, Peter shifts into the kingdom of the world rather than the kingdom of God. And, and he thinks the kingdom of the world gets results by the sword. And he pulls out a sword and he slashes clumsily at someone. He cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus says, put your sword away. This is not how we're doing it. This is not how my followers do this. So this is my father's will. He heals Malchus's ear. He gives himself up willingly to the soldiers. They take him out. Now they drag him down the side of the mountain to the stream of blood. They drag him through the stream of blood so that his sandals and his robe gets dipped in the blood of the lamb and back up. And he's taken to a mockery of a, of a trial among the Jewish high priests. They condemn him for blasphemy. But, but at this time, they're oppressed by the Roman government. They hate the Romans. Uh, their, their most common uh, 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 kind of parallel to the Romans were the Egyptians, who they were just now celebrating God's freedom for them. And when hundreds of thousands of Jews come into to the uh, area, Pontius Pilate, who is a powerful man, is also a very nervous man. Like, are are there any uprisings that are about to happen? Is there anything that's going to threaten my position and my power or ultimately threaten Caesar? And so he's very, very nervous. He's going to try to play a very tightrope political game in this whole thing. All he knows is the kingdom of this world. And we're going to see Pilate, he gets a bad rap. We're going to see Pilate in this scene uh, in many ways be the only one that is for Jesus several times and he's trying to walk a very fine political line, but he moves on. That's where he's at. He doesn't want the crowd to uprise. He doesn't want there to be a revolt. He knows he'll die if that is the case. More than that, if anything happens, Caesar will send troops in and take him out first and then take out the rest of the people, and so he's very nervous in this moment. And at this moment, they hand Jesus over to Pilate, uh, and they're expecting a very quick judgment, a very quick and concise, uh, precise judgment that Jesus will be put to death. He'll be put to death on a cross. So that's where we're at. John chapter 18, verse 28. It says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning, think 5 a.m., 6 a.m., They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. Why? So that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. This is a theme throughout John's gospel. The religious people, the self-righteous people, they're very, very concerned about their outward self-righteousness. So much concern that, that they're like, we don't want to be defiled. They don't care that they're uh, perpetrating the greatest injustice in the history of the world in this moment, just so long as their self-righteousness is held intact. They don't care about the heart. In fact, that's one of their, their claims against Jesus. He was known as a friend of sinners. He would hang out with prostitutes, tax collectors, the drunkard, the down and out, uh, sinners, sinners. He was uh, accused of being a drunkard and a glutton, though he was neither, because he was always amongst people. And he was always loving people, and the self-righteous don't love that. If Jesus was around today, I, I think most of us, many of us would not want anything to do with him. He's too scandalous. The, the uh, kind of discernment bloggers out there, they would have a field day with Jesus and who he hangs out with. Jesus has come to establish a new kingdom in the hearts of people. And so Jesus is defiled. He's taken into this Roman leader's house in this night because he's, he's, he's making the, uh, those of us that are defiled by sin clean. But there's something else going on here because they don't go in. And it's kind of a parable that, that is happening between these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. Because they won't go in, Pilate is going to have to go back and forth. Between Jesus and the crowd, and there's this tension in the the text, like, who is he going to choose? Is he going to go the way of of peace and righteousness with Jesus, or is he going to go the way of the world that is demanding the blood of Jesus? And so he's going in, and he's going out. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, Roman soldiers have already been involved with the arrest of Jesus, so uh, somehow he knows what the charge is, that he's, the, he's being charged with claiming to be a king, and so they're a little bit flabbergasted. They're like, hey, you're just supposed to take care of this. Don't ask, don't, don't bring this up now. Verse 30, they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you, which is a non-answer. They don't really say, but uh, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves. And judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And we see the first time Pilate is trying to deflect, trying to, to say, look, look, you guys deal with that. But he's also kind of taunting them. It's like, I'm the one in control. He knows that they can't do anything, he knows that they can't put him to death. If they were to put him to death, the best they could do, uh, according to their law, was to uh, stone him. And that would be quite merciful compared to what he was about to go through. They say we, we, we can't do that, and he needs to be put to death. And then John adds a very important note that hangs over all this. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. John is saying... Keep in mind, Jesus is not, the, is, is not just part of an accident of history in this moment, of the collocation of evil forces uh, coming together against him. Jesus is in control. Jesus is the king. This is the truth taught throughout the Bible and it's taught throughout the Gospel of John that, that God is sovereign. He is accomplishing his purposes exactly to the purpose of his will. And yet at the same time, every person in here is a free agent. Pilate's not a robot. The crowd's not just going along with the, the, whatever God's plan is. They are all making their choices, and they will be held responsible. Jesus will say that in this passage. And yet, John wants us to know, there is a king. He is in control. This is God's will. Verse 33, uh, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus. So this is the first time Pilate's going to see Jesus called Jesus to him. He's heard about Jesus. Someone's trying to re- lead a, a revolution, a, a rebellion. And so he's expecting someone that commands attention. Uh, think Braveheart or Aragorn or whoever, like someone like, yes, I will follow him. And in walks Jesus. And, and Jesus has already been beaten a little bit. So his lip is bleeding, his eye is swollen up a little bit, he's got pauper's clothes on, he's got blood on his feet and on his robe, and and they bring him bound in front of him. And look what Pilate says, are you, are you the king of the Jews? It's incredulous. He expected to see someone with, with stature, not five foot two Jesus. That's probably how tall he was, by the way, in case you're wondering. So uh, not, not, not just someone that's not impressive, not, not, not with armor on or a, a sword. No, no, just the most ridiculous man is standing in front of him. And he's thinking, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? And right away, this is not a prisoner that Pilate's ever encountered before. He's basically saying, uh, you think you're the judge, but I'm the judge, and I'll be asking the questions. It's like, well, what are you talking about? And, and even this is a grace to Pilate. Even in this moment of all that's going on, Jesus is saying, look, I can relate to you on a personal level. If you would only have eyes to see and ears to hear, we could have a conversation that could change your destiny forever. Of course, he wants nothing to do with that. Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Which is a good question. What have you done? Oh, Pilate, if you only knew. If you only knew who was standing before you, what has he done? He left heaven in glory. He took on human flesh to show the world what love is. To, to, to lead people back to the heart of God, to show them who he is, and he's healed the sick. He's opened blind eyes. He's opened deaf ears. He's, what has he done except for love people to, to feed the hungry, to, to, to give the thirsty drink? What has he done? Of course, none of these things are what the chief priest would, would point to they would point to uh, his claiming uh, to be God, and and they would say that automatically is blasphemy, which it would be unless it was true. What has he done? Unfortunately, he doesn't really want to know the answer, and Jesus knows this, and so he doesn't answer that question. He actually goes back to the first question, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would not have been fighting. My kingdom is not of this world. And this is this is what we need to highlight. This is what you need to underline in this moment if you have it. My kingdom is not of this world. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jews. But again, my kingdom is not of this world. And whenever the people of God have tried to marry, marry the, the kingdoms of the world, it has always gone bad for the people of God. Like always. One professor of missions has said, uh, in, a, in a few decades when we see the, the truly global expanse of Christianity to every tribe, tongue, and nation, and nations are coming before the throne, there'll be one continent, unless things change, that is almost completely dark. And it's the only continent that has tried to marry the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of heaven. It is Europe. And where they've taken the, the forces of this world, the, the armies, the power, of the sword, and said, we'll use that for the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And yet, we're tempted to think, like Peter, well, the sword can accomplish what we need to accomplish. But Jesus is my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, that, that puts, I mean, he's already at ease, Pilate's at ease, because this, nobody is standing before him. He's not a threat, and yet, uh, he says he's got a kingdom, when it's not of this world, and he even clarifies, look, I'm not trying to lead a rebellion here. I'm trying to do something far more significant, and, and Pilate doesn't really see it, but he's like, so let me just clarify. I got to make sure that you're not a threat to my position or to Caesar's position. That's my one job, and so he says, um, verse 37, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. (laughs) For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He says, my my kingdom moves on truth and love. It it is not not coercive through the sword. It is going to move uh, subversively through hearts and minds uh, through the truth. And, and, And Pilate is like, I don't understand that. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Like the most postmodern 2018 answer he could possibly give. He's just like, what are you talking about? What in the world does power have to do with truth? We don't care about truth. We care about power. He's like, I got to my position not on truth. I didn't even consider truth. I considered how and who do I need to step on to get to this position? Truth. What is truth? And again, what Pilate misses, and the tragedy of this, is that he's standing before the very perform- personification of the truth. Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him, and he doesn't stick around. He he asks the question, but he doesn't stick around for the answer. This after he had said this. He went back outside to the Jews and he told them, "I find no guilt in Him." This is the second time he's tried to deflect. He's trying to do right by Jesus. It's like this guy's not a threat. He doesn't even have an army behind him. He's talking about a kingdom not, not of this world. He's talking about love and truth and that doesn't matter to me. He's not a threat. I can't, I'm not going to put him to death. And, and by the way, uh, the other gospels tell us that in the middle of the night, his wife came to him and said, hey, I had a terrible dream. I suffered greatly because of that man. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Whatever you do today, Pilate, if, if a guy named Jesus comes before you, do nothing. Like, let him go. And he's like, okay, whatever. And then Jesus shows up and forth. so he's a little bit, he's not a God-fearer, but he's a Roman. He's superstitious. They believed in divine men that had some, some kind of mystical power. And he's wondering, is this guy one of those guys? He doesn't look like it, but maybe he is. And so he's a little bit nervous. And so he wants to do right by Jesus. Have nothing to do with him. We'll come back to that. Look down at chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Well, why did he do that? Well, there, there were three levels of flogging in the Roman system. Uh, he's going to get all three of them. Well, he'll get the first and the last. This is probably the lightest one. It's reserved for hoodlums and, and stuff. But it wasn't... In terms of go, you know, none of us would want to do it, but it wasn't the, the, the bad flogging that would strip the, bone, the, the flesh from your bones and, and leave your kidneys exposed. That, that's not this flogging. He, he's simply trying to walk the political line. Okay, maybe if I show a little bit of punishment of this guy, maybe, just maybe the crowd will see, okay, he's been disciplined. He's not worthy of death. Let's just move on. Let's let him go. And so verse two, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, hail King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. These soldiers, they don't know anything about Jesus. They just hate the Jewish people. They resent the fact that As soldiers of Rome, they've been cast out to the armpit of the the empire and, and they're with these strange people and their strange customs and they hate them. And so Jesus, who has been called the king of the Jews, they think, this is our chance. And the other Gospels tell us that when they put the crown on him and put the purple robe on, some of them would go up to him and just in mock worship, they would get on their face before Jesus and they will say, praise you, praise you, King of the Jews. And as they would get up off the ground, they would unleash a haymaker into his face. This is Jesus. He is worthy of all honor and glory and majesty and power and dominion forever and ever and all praise. And this is what they do to him? Feel that. And they mock him. Hail, king of the Jews. Pilate went out again and said to him, see, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. A third time, he's like, "Look, there's nothing wrong with this guy, but but we've roughed him up a bit. We've disciplined him. That should be enough." So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, "Behold, the man. This is a great sermon that he doesn't know he's preaching. Look at your king." Look at at your God, that he would find himself in this position. Look at him bloodied. Look at that crown of thorns. Behold the man. This just incites the crowd worse, though. Verse 6, When the chief priests and the other officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Now, I've already mentioned the law. If he was truly guilty of blasphemy, it would be to be stoned to death. But that's not what they're asking for. I mean, one rock could hit you in the head, knock you out, and, and that's it, but that's not what they're asking for. They don't want to just see Jesus die, they want to see him suffer. They want to see him bleed out slowly. They want to see him uh, be asphyxiated on the cross as, as he hangs there. This is sick. This is sadistic. This is this kind of uh, bloodlust violence that, that is celebrated then. And, and we really aren't that far as a culture. We really have made no progress. That There is just something about violence. And, and for some reason, violence against other image bearers that we think is exciting. And so they cry out, crucify him. This is sick. This is wrong. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The fourth time, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God, which is the opposite of the gospel. Jesus the man did not make himself God. God came down and took on human flesh and and took on a human nature. He made himself man. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. What is going on here? Why won't they reason? Why are they demanding? The the, the chief priests, the Jews, they hated crucifixion. I mean, it was reserved for the worst of the worst. No Roman citizen could ever be crucified. It was reserved to put on display Rome's cruel power to traitors. At this time, there are three other guys hanging out in a jail cell. They've been convicted. They are rightfully convicted. They know that they will face the worst of the worst. They will go to a cross later that day. They're terrified. Maybe they're crying. Maybe they're wetting themselves. Like I can't believe we found ourselves in this position. And they, they don't know what's going on. They just hear the crowd, that they hear some shouting, they hear the words, crucify, crucify, and they're like, oh no, it, it's coming, it's coming. So they're hanging off onto the side. And three crosses are being prepared for them. But we continue on in the story. Uh, he was even more afraid. Verse 9, he entered the, his headquarters again, said to Jesus, where are you from? Again, a good question. But Jesus gave no answer. Uh, I was meeting with Matthew this week. We, we worked through the passage, and when we got to this point, Jesus gave no answer. Jesus, uh, Matthew said, Jesus kind of bows up. <laughs> it's like, you don't ask the questions. You're actually not in charge. I'm in charge. And I'm not going to give any answer. Well, this, this is, again, something Pilate in all of his pomp and all of his circumcision and all his audacity says to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and, and an authority to crucify you? Don't you know what kind of power I have, Jesus? It's like that movie, uh, Batman, The Dark Knight Rises. Roland Daggett, the, the corrupt businessman who thinks he's in control, and he, he's, he's working the, the things, and, and he's hired Bane, and he's hired Bane to kind of create this chaos and havoc, and things aren't going well in this moment in the, the scene, and he's just ripping into one of his staffers, and he's like, where is Bane? And Bane comes around the corner, that guy with the, the mask and the, the weird talking, and, and he says, uh, speak of the devil, and and, and here I am. And uh, so then he, he this little guy just starts going into Bane, and he's like, what are you doing? That you're, you're not doing, I've, I've, I've planned all these things, you're not accomplishing what we, I told you to accomplish, and, and Bane says to the other staffer, leave us, and, and Roland's like, what are you talking about? He's like, don't leave us, I'm in charge here, and Bane puts his hand on his shoulder and says, do you feel in charge? Next scene cuts away, and Bane is, uh, Roland's screaming, you just know, like, you're really not in charge here in this moment. And this is Pilate, just with all his pomp and circumstance. He's like, don't you know who I am? I have all the power in the world right now. Jesus says, do you feel in charge? Do you feel in charge? Look what he says. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all, just to clarify, at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me over is, to you is, has the greater sin. Jesus is saying, look, you think you're in charge, but you're not. And, and somehow this, again, gets to Pilate's heart, and he's now even more desperate. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. That's the fifth time. And it says from then on. Apparently, he's he's scrambling. How how in the world can I let Jesus go, and, and yet still maintain the peace, not have a revolt, and still maintain my power? Like he wants to do right by Jesus, if no for another other reason for his own sake. And yet, then they pull out their trump card. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, "If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend." Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Implication? Oh, word's going to spread that there was someone claiming to be a king in your land, and he threatened Caesar's throne, and Caesar's a jealous man. Caesar was already known to, to take out anyone he suspected, any of his governors in the provinces that, provinces that he suspected, uh, just, just on the slightest whim. And so now the question Pilate, will you do what's right and, and give up everything for this cause of Jesus, or is it too much? Up until this point, Pilate has done whatever he can to be on Jesus' side, but now he, we get to the point where it's too much. His idolatry is too great. His love for power. He's willing to follow Jesus to a point, but only to a point. To what point are you willing to follow Jesus? To what point are you doing, willing to go for the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God? We also see in this passage that it's not so much how you start, but how you finish. Earlier in the chapter, Peter has betrayed Jesus. He, he, he bailed out quicker than anyone else. Well, well the other disciples bailed out, then he bails out. But in the end, it is Peter who will come back and be restored. And, and in the end, Peter will give up Everything being crucified upside down for the cause of Jesus. And Pilate says, no, that's, that's not worth it to me. That's not worth it. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at the place of the stone pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. The blood of the lambs are flowing. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. Now this is an even better sermon. Again, he's saying, look at your king. Look at your God, that he would stoop so low. They cried, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Again, the prisoners off in a cell around here, just the crowd roaring, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Caesar. That's like them saying, we have no king but Pharaoh. We have no king but Hitler. As, as long as he does what we, we want him to do. The the chief priests had the, the Bible memorized. They knew that, that the people of God were to have no other king but the living God of the universe. And any king, earthly king, was to come in subjection to him, but for their political expediency, they say, we have no king but Caesar. This is why it drives me nuts when kingdom uh, citizens uh, are, are, are so tied to this world that their hope is on whatever color their state will be in the next election cycle. And it doesn't matter whose name you put in the blank. We have no king but Reagan. We have no king but Obama. We have no king but Trump. That's ridiculous. Be good citizens of this, of this world, yes. But understand, we, we don't marry the power of this world with the power of the kingdom of heaven. That's not the way we move forward. But I want to just close by one, going back to one scene. So it says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Back earlier in the chapter, uh, there's this scene that uh, always pops up, and it seems like it kind of comes out of nowhere. It seems like this is about Jesus and things moving forward. It's about him going to the cross. But then there's this guy. Pilate said, but you have a custom. I should release one man for you at the Passover. Again, Pilate thinks, I know how to get, get him free and get everyone satisfied. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas, one of those three in the, prisoner of, in the prison over there. We want Barabbas. It says Barabbas was a robber. And I'm like, what? Barabbas? Why Barabbas? Why not one of the other two? But Barabbas, like the other Gospels tell us even more. John says he's a robber, but the word actually means more than that. And so in the other Gospels, it says he he was a thug. He was a criminal. He was a leader of an insurrection. He had committed murder. He was also a robber. In all the ways you can think of a bad man, Barabbas was a bad man. And, and, and Pilate brings on this audacious stage in history. He brings up Jesus and he brings up Barabbas and he says, uh, who, who do you want? Who do you want? Do you want Barabbas, the thug, the criminal, the real threat to Rome, the real threat to Caesar? Is that who you want? Or, or do you want Jesus. The one who has shown you nothing but love and kindness has has healed the sick, opened blind eyes. uh, Jesus, who do you want? And they say, we want Barabbas. Yeah, yeah, give us Barabbas. And Pilate's like, what? Barabbas? Like, I, I put these two up here so it'd be obvious. You want Barabbas? Yes, we want Barabbas. And Barabbas is like, what is going on? And then the Roman soldiers, they come up, and, and they, they, they put the key in, and they, they release Barabbas, and he's like, yeah, my people love me. Yeah, where are my, my boys at? Barabbas. And there's no record in the account where Barabbas is like turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to be better. No, there's no, there seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no indication that he's changed. And yet he goes free. Like what? Barabbas? What's going on? And it's in every gospel. And it just seems to be thrown in there. What is going on? Until you realize. Until I realize. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We deserve the chains. We deserve the whipping. We deserve the cross. He said, Well, but God, didn't, didn't you know that he, he was probably gonna just walk away and reject your free gift? Yeah, I know. But I love Barabbas. But but God, He He's a bad man. I know. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God I there's nothing good in him. Yeah, I know. And Jesus says, I know. Let him take Barabbas, Father. For Jesus knew that, that God would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas for, for him to be able to treat Barabbas like Jesus. 2 like Corinthians 5.21 He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so they come and take the chains off and, 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 and by grace and grace alone no merit in Barabbas at all no no worth only worthy of death he gets set free so this is the gospel but, but even in the story it isn't Barabbas now saying well I'm going to try really hard so often, Christians, you understand the gospel, that you didn't deserve it, that you got grace, you got mercy, and that's all good. But then you get somewhere down the line in your Christian life, and, and things are happening, and, and the temptation of hell, and, and, and sin, and addictions, and they begin to overwhelm you. And rather than looking to the cross, you say, well, well I better try really hard right now. I better clean myself up. What spiritual disciplines can I do? How can I uh, get my devotion up stronger? What can I do? And you're like, what? That's not the gospel. That's the opposite of the gospel. It, it'll, it was Jesus. It will be Jesus. It will always be Jesus. It is grace alone. Your problem is not your devotion, your, your, your striving, your d- discipline. Your problem is believing the gospel. How are you going to get out of that situation? How are you going to overcome that temptation? How are you going to break free from the bondage of sin in your life? You can't do it. The answer will never be found in you. It will never be found in your strength. It will be found in beholding your king. And so you look. Thank you. 100. 100. All right, if there's ever a time for 100, look to Jesus. He says, I'll take your place. There's three crosses set up. Barabbas, you deserve that. But you can go free. And we stand in this, this empty space and now all the attention is turned, and it's, it's looking on Jesus and, and, and you just hear the love of God. The Father is saying, go son. I'll take your sin. I'll take your shame. I'll take your guilt. You don't have to carry that anymore. Go free. And So that's what lies before us to do it. It was always Jesus. It will always be Jesus. Jesus is enough. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, this week and even more so next week, would you give us supernatural eyes to see the great love of Jesus. Your perfect plan to take our place. We deserve death and hell, and you've given us freedom and grace. Lord, if there's anyone here that has never experienced that before, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be bringing them to a point of faith and repentance and trusting in Jesus, that they would become a new creation, that the old would be gone and the new would come. For those of us that have have forgotten the gospel and have tried really hard to be good boys and girls, uh, help us to just turn our eyes and behold our King. May your spirit do that work of making us more and more like Jesus. Give us freedom from our bondage, from temptation and sin, from the powers of hell, and let us walk out of this room free people. We ask these things in the matchless and precious name of Jesus. Amen.